Welcome to Exit the Red Race, the podcast for high performers who want to enter the next level in business and in life with more focus, more energy, clarity, and freedom. We don't do dusty book wisdom or guru quotes. It's all about real, extraordinary experiences and the raw lessons from daily life. He asks you the questions that no one else does. Sometimes tough, sometimes in your face, but always with one goal, challenging you to live your most legendary life. Here's your host, Daniel Kluke. Exit the Red Race. Imagine this, you're a healthy man. You're full of life. And one of your passions is para jumping. But today is the day that will change everything. Today is the day that your parachute won't open. Going to the ground with immense speeds and then you land without a parachute. I'm talking today with Piotr. This has happened to him. And from one instant to the other, his life was completely different. And we all have changes in our life. But how do you deal with such significant change in an instant? Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have, for me personally, I find him an amazing guy. He's uh, now currently living in the Netherlands. His name is Piotr. And Piotr has an amazing story. He already warned me a little bit that there will be a lot of curse words in this beautiful interview. So just hang on with that. And Piotr is now 41 years old. And the reason that for me his story is so touching, but at the same time also so inspirational is that five and a half years ago on the 6th of November, 2015, he got paralyzed by jumping out from an airplane and I think if I'm correct, but he will correct me in that later, he hit another skydiver, got unconscious and had a free fall of 4,300 meters going down. He got paralyzed. He's now in a wheelchair, but his look of life is for me really inspirational. So Piotr, welcome in this, what I call open conversation, having the time for me and the people that are listening or watching to this. Thank you very much. Do you have any add-ons to the introduction I just gave? No, that's, that's pretty precise. Uh, although it always, when, when, uh, when people say he's in a wheelchair, it, it makes it sound so sad for some reason. Uh, it's not. I see it, you know, I, uh, this is the way I need to transport myself right now. That's it. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me or saying that and keeping <laughs> your smile and saying that is enough. And that's for me, that was one of the reasons I so badly wanted to have this conversation with you. Because going through an experience like that and by just correcting me in that already has a wonderful insight how you, let's say, how you look at life. Because yes, you can say, hey, he's in a wheelchair. How sad or no, it gets me from A to B. And that's but it's you know it's it, this is this is nothing about about correcting you right now but one of the thing that was very disturbing in the beginning and it is I don't give a fuck right now but a lot of people in a wheelchair has the same problem and it is like you know 
in the beginning, people that met me started to talk slower, mm. more, a little bit higher voice. Like, what? I have a brain damage? I'm just in a wheelchair. It's not that I've become stupid, you know. It's uh, We were meeting some friends. My wife was there, and, and one of the friends came to her and said, like, oh, how, how poor you. You have to take care of him the rest of your life. She got mad at him. It's like, what the fuck do you mean? He takes care of himself. Yeah. So I, I don't care about it anymore. I didn't. Well, in the beginning, it was disturbing. That's it. People just think that they should be sad about me or I am sad. That's that's not the case. No. Sure, there are probably there are probably other people in wheelchairs who feel that way, but uh, most what I've met don't. Oh wonderful. So that arises a question for me when I hear you say that and thank you for addressing this. And I can totally imagine what you're saying. People like they, in a way, they probably go more into pity mode, right? That they say, "Oh yeah, he's yeah, exactly." That's 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 the right that's that's the right uh, that's the right thing. Yeah, and they pity you. Yeah, you're a human being. Your heart is beating. You're breathing, but they perceive you in a way differently. How, was that when everything just happened in 2015? How did you feel about yourself? Because you say, hey, I'm just a human being. I'm strong. I see that smile on your face. But when something like that happens, your life is changing from one day to the other. How did that process yeah, brought you to where you are right now? So <laughs> I think I have to go back a little bit. So, so when this happened, I, I got unconscious in the air. I broke my neck in the air. When I hit the ground... I regained my consciousness. I was lying there and I was very lucky because quite close to me, a guy landed. His name is Martin and he works for the, he works for special forces in the military. Whenever there is a panic situation, they throw him in to solve it. You know, he, he is used to, work with panic on daily business. So he was the first one to get to me and people were gathering. And basically he was just like in military order, just telling them, you do this, you do that, you do that, you do that. So after a while, there was five, six people around me all doing something. And and then the last guy, he told him like, and you start telling bad jokes. <laughs> and the guy got a little bit flabbergasted. It's like, ah, 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 ah. And, and then he, he really is like, no, 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 you start telling bad jokes now. So he, he started with the first joke. It was about the tomato crossing, uh, crossing the road and he got run over by a truck and, and then the other tomato says, catch up. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I'm lying there on the ground. It's like, it's burning in my lungs. I'm spitting blood. And, and, and I told him like, yeah, this was bad. I've heard it before. You have to try better. So then, then he says, like, okay, there's a guy coming in with a bit of uh, asphalt into the bar and, uh, and, and tells the bartender, one drink for me and one for the road. <laughs> and I, I started laughing and, and spitting out blood and everything was just like, you know, it was burning inside. And I, said, I told him, like, this was so bad, but I've never heard it. And it's so funny. And then people, because I started laughing, people around me, even they were like petrified, what the fuck is happening? They started to smile. And about 30 seconds later, the ambulance came and, and the first response people, and, and they came and, and they looked at me and they really looked so serious. I'm like, 
ah, this is probably fucked up. This is, this is not good. And then uh, they put me to sleep. But yeah, so <laughs> then I was in a, in a coma for five and a half weeks. And I sort of lost myself while I was coming. Sorry, what was your question again? Yeah. Now, first of all, what I hear you say in your application or the form you sent me, that, that they, first of all, expected you to not survive after yeah. week, right? Yeah, the, the, the doctors, so this was in a small uh, town in Portugal. The day after I was helicoptered to uh, uh, Lisbon, to one of the big hospitals, and the doctors there didn't have expectations for me to survive more than two weeks. But apparently things got better and better and better, and uh, I, I survived. Yeah, so after five uh, and a half weeks, you woke up in, in the hospital? Yeah. Well, when you regained consciousness, <laughs> what was the first insight about uh, yourself? Like uh, when you got, got to hear how everything was for you at that time? So during my, my coma, I was, I don't know how many drugs I was on. I, I know they, they pumped fentanyl into me and fentanyl uh, being a very strong opiate. And one of the first thing when they woke me up, I, 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 I thought like, okay, so either I'm still fucked up or bias. I, I see people, I'm, I'm very clear in my head. Well, this was, this was after a few tries because they, they tried to wake me up during, during a week or so. Uh, with, with various results and, and I woke up and I see my wife I see the doctors and, and they're talking something but I cannot focus and then I hear about things and then in my head goes on like oh I have more scars cool I will be like evil can evil soon only scars <laughs> that was my first thought in my head so, so then I realized long time afterwards I, I probably wasn't so clear yet But but it's I don't know on a subconscious level I was I was fully aware of everything that was happening those five weeks. Wow. I knew people around me, but my reality was something different than the people being around. What I hear you say is you know, being in that coma, you still yeah. have a level of awareness of what was happening externally around you. Sort of, yeah, because when I was retelling later, so because my wife got there, uh, she was already there in, in, in Lisbon when they helicoptered me there. And when I've been retelling things, friends that visited and things that happened, she could confirm more or less parts of it. Of course, my things was more colorful than, than it really happened because Like one thing, in the beginning, one of the first day, I knew a friend called Liat was there. And uh, Liat was on her way to San Francisco to go on a job meeting or something, which was the, the, the real truth. In my head, she was going to US to meet with Ronald McDonald to teach McDonald's how to send, sell orange juice. Because orange juice was the new thing that Burger King was selling. So, you know, that was my reality. So in a way you could track what was happening, but there was like a morphing almost of, of your reality. Exactly. Wow. Wow. So uh, I know some, some other friends came for a visit and one of them, they were two, two guys, two of my best friends. And one of them is, is very, very afraid of hospitals and very afraid of blood. 
So we almost fainted. And, and I remember having jokes with the other guy, which wasn't really true that the other guy was telling jokes and we had fun on, on behalf of the, you know, of the guy fainting. So I, I knew they were there. They saw me like some sort of ghost because I didn't react so much. But uh, in my head, I had full conversations with them. Wow. And yeah, coming back to that, that primary question I, I had is that at a certain point you regained consciousness and with what happened, life, let's say physically, was different from one way to the other, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I was there in the hospital bed. I wanted to go home. I couldn't move. They told me I have a spinal cord injury, but for me that was like, yeah, what's that? I have no fucking clue what it is. Then my wife managed to, to get the Dutch insurance to send a private jet to pick me up and get back to Amsterdam. This is, this is the first time I've been in a private jet, although I was strapped into a bed and strapped into the wall in the private jet. But my first private jet flight, probably the only one as well. And then uh, I was taken from ICU uh, at the hospital there to mid-care department at FU in Amsterdam. Yeah. And uh, there was somewhere in FU when I started uh, really clearing up my head because I, it must have been so many drugs in my head when I was in, in, in Portugal. I was in an in a ICU department. I think there was like 20 people around me. And then they got me to FU and I had my, because I was in quarantine, uh, to not bring any hospital bacteria to the hospital here. Uh, it was my own room, and then I was just feeling like I'm in heaven. Still not really real. Well, it got to me that I cannot walk. Fine. But then what? So after after like a few days, there came a rehabilitation doctor, and, and I really told him, like, okay, so what are the chances of me starting walking? And he... He's like, oh, so nobody has told you this? And I said, well, maybe they had, but I don't know if it was a, you know, clear in my head. So then he goes, okay, I will uh, pop it for you. It needs to be a miracle for you. And <laughs> I, I felt like really childish, and my, and my answer to him was immediately, yeah, your mom said the same. <laughs> and he's like, I, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he didn't really <laughs> understand my joke about the miracle, but but yeah, that's what he said. And uh, I don't know. I just it was a situation. I really I, I cannot say that I was devastated because I wasn't. And uh, and how and how did you feel? Like were you angry? Were you sad? Were you happy? What what was your let's say your state of being at the time when you realized something like that? I wasn't sad. Uh, I was happy I was with my with my wife. I was happy my friends were come visiting. It, uh, generally, it was a positive feeling in my head. I was definitely not unhappy. I was definitely not uh, not devastated. It was whatever they said. Uh, I don't know. Piotr, uh, I'm really curious about you. You know that. Is, is that something <laughs> that, that is that the way how you lived also before what happened in 2015 that when something like this is a lot of people would focus on what they won't have anymore in that situation and that loss of function of the body. And you focus on the yeah, air, but I'm happy that everybody's here. Maybe happy that you're survived. What, what, what was your 
How is your outlook on life when you do something like that? Yeah, but okay. So what's the point of getting sad of something you cannot achieve? No. It's not going to get you anywhere. The only thing it can do, it can make you bitter. And if you get bitter, it's like a spiral down. You just get like, you know, being bitter makes you an asshole in sort of a way as well. Because you're just pestering the surrounding around you. So... Two years ago, I was in hospital for a surgery and uh, one of the male nurses started talking to me quite a lot about this experience of how to be in a wheelchair and expecting a kid and so on. So we had a conversation and then he, said, and then, then he says to me, it's like, wow, I would be able to do this. And I'm like, well, why not? Yeah, because I would miss not to be able to play football with my kids. I would miss this and this and that. And I'm like, oh, it's, well, it's not going to get you anywhere. Missing things, sure, you, you can miss things, but it's going to eat you up what you cannot get instead of enjoying what you have. And and was that, let's say, was that the way you were living also before what happened in 2015? Or I can imagine when you survive something like that, that <laughs> that maybe what you say, yeah, you have all those wonderful people around you. You're you're a human being. You can do so many things. But was that your default way of operating before the accident, also, or not? Uh, up to uh, yeah, more or less, quite a lot. Let's say maybe up to 80 percent that way. However, you know that there are always external circumstances that that steers your moods unless you're really conscious about it and my work was one of those things it is very political to work in a bank yeah and those kind of politics were just driving me bitter mm. and uh, the whole accident made me realize that that i was becoming not somebody i thought i was being and thinking back at the whole accident Sure, the accident itself happening is shit. But yeah. every single thing after that and me surviving is just luck. Yeah. In a way, is that something you're aware of? That that you feel grateful for the fact, hey, I did survive this with, uh, it's of course, I think such a slim chance that you normally would survive something like that and you did. Is that something that, that gratefulness in your life uh, for sure, I'm grateful for it. It's not that I'm thinking about it every day. It's uh, It pops up when somebody asks about it. But uh, for sure, really fucking grateful for that. Yeah. Generalistic question. And interesting to see how you answer this, brother. How has it changed you being a man? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Never thought about it. Uh, change me being a man. I cannot do all the manly tasks at home. Mm. That's that's about. Well, it's a def, it's a definition. I, I I don't know. I I hope. I think my wife still appreciates me being a man. It's uh, uh, this is a tough question. I don't have any any better answer. No, to that. <laughs> that's why I'm interested to see how how you answer it in in, in any any way, but before we went on this recording with each other, right? We spoke yeah. out that with what happened in, in your life, there was, let's say, a significant change from one day to the other uh, that, let's say, helped you to train, let's say, gratefulness in a, in a way. It made you aware 
what is within your influence or what isn't. And you can, uh, you can be sad about the things that you don't have influence on, but you're consciously choosing to focus on the things that you can influence, the where you have any influence about. Um, but uh, let's say the average person on the street is like uh, we spoke about this, is that life is constantly changing. And as human beings, we have a tough time dealing with those changes. But most of the time, they're really small changes. Like your agenda is totally different than you expect it to be. And a lot of people find that challenging to deal with it. But you had a little bit of a greater challenge to deal with. And the way how you look at those things what is within your control and where can you be grateful for is what you read in all the personal development books. But one way or the other, you're doing this naturally. And that's something that fascinates me a lot. So a lot of people talk, a lot of things are written about being conscious, living the now, be mindful, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, it's all, all theoretical. And the only way you can really make it practical and, and, and feel it being in the now is basically make a skydive or make something that puts you so much, maybe not of your comfort zone, but puts you in an extreme situation maybe because at that moment you cannot think about the bills you didn't pay. You cannot think about... Uh, the address appointment you have in two weeks, you just have to think what is happening the next bit of second. Yeah. Uh, somewhere when I, I think, so a little bit over 10 years ago, or maybe 15 years ago, when I, when I started skydiving, that, that came to my head and I realized that. And, and that sort of changed a lot of the way of being. Because, you know, you, you were thinking like, oh, live in the now, yada, 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 all that thing. Mm-hmm. but it's not until you experience it that it makes sense. Wonderful that you're saying that. And I fully agree with you because you can read all the books, you can do all the courses, but without integration and literally, uh, yeah, let's say, going through the discomfort. Yeah. And without that, there's never that true integration of, yeah, let's say, cognitive knowledge, right? Yeah, you can talk yeah, about exactly. being in the now for hours, but when you're doing skydiving, for example, your way of, yeah, at that moment, embracing it, you need to be in yeah. now. You need to be aware, hey, you are alive. Time probably is different at that time. I think in a way, as human beings, we're also all being habits of comfort. So you need that consciousness to put yourself outside of that circle of comfort so that you can integrate all those conceptual things we talk about around personal development, right? Yeah. I mean, of course, you do something that's stressful first time. Your consciousness is is very small. You 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 don't grasp a lot. But the more times you do it, you know, it's like bending time. The consciousness grows. Yeah. Uh, the the practical thing becomes more realistic. And let's see what happened in 2015. In which way did it change your? perception or how you deal with expanding consciousness is that something that is more important now for you or do you have a different approach with it yeah you're asking so such questions i've i've, I've never thought about them it's 
Well, 2015, I don't think changed that. I was already trying to be as conscious about things as possible. It gave me a good look at things I thought I was doing in the correct way, but I actually didn't. And, and the point of I was getting a bitter person because of external circumstances. Yeah. And then it made me realize that's not important, sort of. Now, the reason that I'm asking, like, hey, when you talk about consciousness, like, yeah. for a lot of people, hey, you, and also for me, I wake up in the morning, maybe I have like 15 or 20 minutes, put on my clothes, and I need to go outside, and, or maybe with a cup of coffee, and then go outside. But the reason I'm also asking you deliberately, for example, if you look at with what happened in 2015, things change. Let's say, for example, how you go through your morning, probably everything takes a little bit more time and that's i'm guessing that um, yeah i can also imagine that you become so, so much more aware of doing uh, let's say the things before that in a different way right yeah definitely you are it's it's like being reborn because like suddenly half of your body doesn't work and you need to relearn everything so in the beginning every every move is very conscious yeah then then you get it into uh, into a habit as well so then you need to, to, to find a way to, to, to stay conscious over, uh, as I see it a little bit, it's, it's like techniques and um, principles. Yeah. It's principles. yeah, principles. So, so first of all, you, you are uh, very much aware and conscious about doing a technique. And then you collect all those techniques into a, a bunch. And then suddenly it becomes a principle. And you have moved from being very conscious about the single techniques, but you are conscious about the bigger principle is that. Yeah. That's, that's sort of how the process goes in my head. Yeah. In a way, what, what I hear you say also is like, because things, things change then, and before, let's say, that situation, you do things unconsciously based on the patterns you have, like what I'm sharing, getting my clothes on, getting my cup of coffee, and then and, and go out. But because yeah. you relearn things, you are uh, at the beginning, you're aware of the fact that you're not really good at it yet. You really go through that whole process of learning again, and that makes things really aware, right? Yeah. And one of the things that triggered me when I went to the, that form that you sent me, like, is that I'm really curious how you look at hey, when the doctors told you it needs to be a miracle to walk again. How do you look? at, let's say, creating that miracle for yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. That's, that's about, you have to put in work to create the miracle. Some people say that some people uh, have much more luck than others, but I say you create your own luck. You have to, you create your own miracle as well. There is probably when, when you say about somebody that it's a miracle, you don't realize how much work there is put behind that thing. Uh, you just come and, and blunt say, oh, that was lucky. But behind that luck, there is a few thousand hours of practice, probably. Well, I, I read an article, one of the rehabilitation doctors said, like, yeah, there's a lot of uh, new technology that will help you just around the corner, but it's a fucking long way to that corner. Mm. It feels like there's a long way to that corner. And I, if, if I feel like... Maybe I should stop, give up. Then, then, then my head comes back to me. Well, then you're like everybody else. So I don't really dare to give up because 
walking is one thing. That's that's not my my main goal. My main goal is to regain, you know, function of half of my body. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get that back. If I start walking, yeah, that's that's just a bonus. Yeah. And if you would give words to when when you when we, you now give words to me. But if you would give words to what you feel internally, what I what I hear you say, this this miracle needs to happen, and I there needs to be work put into it. And I think that's a wonderful insight for everybody that is listening to this, because most people want the miracle, but they don't want to do the work. And to do the work, you need to feel something inside. So I'm really curious um, when you say I want to regain those body functions. If you would describe that feeling or that driving force, how would you describe that? <laughs> I just fucking do it. There is, uh, it's a natural part of me. It's uh, nothing comes for free, uh, unfortunately. It might look so, or or there is a lot of internal mental work behind it, or external muscle muscle work behind it. That there is. It's like Vim. He put 40 years behind his style of being. It works perfectly for him. And, and uh, But there is a lot put behind it. There, there is, sorry to say it, but there is no really, not, not the drive behind it. It's just a natural part. It's like I'm not giving up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get there. Yeah. I don't, I, I, don't, I, I don't feel like light inside me. It's just... I want to do it. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but <laughs> and I, I'm not looking for lights or other things. I'm, I'm really curious because when I hear you talk, Piotr, your face is changing a little bit and I see a power and a confidence radiating for you. I'm going to do it, whatever it takes. Yeah. You don't know what the result is, but I'm going to do what is necessary to make it happen. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, doesn't but, have to be so much more difficult. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, you, you say I find it difficult to give an answer to it, but you're giving it because what you're radiating, <laughs> and maybe it you would describe it differently. But I see power, I see confidence when when you say something like that, and you need to have power and confidence or something similar to that. That's why I asked the question to you to have that driving force. But it it goes a little bit hand in hand with. Um, you can feel pity about yourself or you can start doing things and because pity is not going to take you anywhere. It's it sort of like, you know, the whole nine yards of, of doing things. Yeah. It's one thing brings to another. It's uh, I read somewhere about a guy being questioned. Why is he all the time so fucking positive and uh, miracles never happen that way. And then he also like, yeah, but if, if I'm positive and then I have uh, uh, something bad happening to me, I'm quite quickly can go back to the positive mode. That, that describe it somehow. It's uh, yeah, but what I hear you say, and this, and I, you know, I, I always recapture what you're saying, right? So yeah, what, what I hear you say is that if I would, let's say, consciously or subconsciously, would choose to be in pity mode. I won't start yeah. get moving. And what I do is what I need. You're conscious enough of the fact that you say, I need to get moving because moving brings me closer to exploring, uh, let's say, putting in those hours to create that miracle. So you could say yeah. you know, being pity is like a pause 
when it comes to, let's say, creating a miracle, right? Definitely, it is. And it's not a good cause either because it, it takes you to very bad places. When I ended up at, at Riyadh, the rehabilitation center here in, uh, in Amsterdam, I was already three months in hospital beds and I lost 27 kilos. I couldn't even lift my head. I had to ring the, the bell to, to get a nurse to, you know, puff my pillow and readjust my head. And uh, slowly, thanks to rehabilitation, yeah, the muscles started to come back. And yada, yada, yada. And then I got in a wheelchair and I was feeling like, okay, so this is it. Uh, but no, it wasn't it. And then they told me like, yeah, but you can do this, you can do this. And then suddenly a new world opened. And then uh, I, I met some people that were playing wheelchair rugby. I'm like, oh, I want to do that. And it was like the, the most fun experience since I was a kid. I was having so much fun. And all those people, they were in wheelchairs and then they came there in their own cars and, and they, you know, nothing was... A problem for them and, and that opened up yet another dimension it's like oh fuck doesn't have to be that bad and and then it was like not that it was bad but it's like you know it it, it is getting better and it's getting better and small steps open up more and more dimensions and 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 then you meet people that are in wheelchairs and have been in wheelchairs for 20 years longer than you and and they can do whatever like super cripples as i call them and it's uh it's just the will of wanting to do things. It's just the will of... Uh... But, but, but I had to, to bring that back. What I hear you say is uh, you experienced fun again, even as the same amount of fun as when you were a little kid. You, uh, you yeah. come in contact with people that in a way allowed you to see even more opportunities. Like you're, what I hear from you until now is that de your default is that you're always looking for opportunities, but where you also hang out with people that in a way show you everything that is possible, it opens up also your reality of what is possible and what isn't possible, right? Exactly, exactly. And then, then at the, somewhere you come to a conclusion like, yeah, okay, this, this is only a transportation. You can do pretty much everything. Well, yeah, I cannot reach high, obviously, because physically it, 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 it hinders me. Stuff maybe take longer time for me to do than, 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 than for you. But, but in the end, nothing is really blocking. And, and then... <laughs> Sorry that I interrupted. Yeah. Nothing is really blocking you. But in a way, what I say, nothing is really blocking you, only yourself. That's it. That, that's it. Because if you get stupid ideas in your head and, and then start looking down, then of course you, you drag yourself down. Yeah. Then everything becomes difficult and everything, you start pitying yourself, you become bitter and, and you pester the world around you. And, uh, but that's why it's so wonderful that you share this also, what you just shared now meeting those other people and that you see those opportunities. And we, we now talk about your story, but for every person on this planet, like when you meet up with people that are doing things that you thought to be, for example, impossible, it opens yeah. up space. It, it allows you to see opportunities. And especially if you look at the world with the COVID pandemic right now, we are a, a lot of us are looking what is not possible instead of what is possible. There you go. That's that's the thing. I mean, do what you can. Don't think about what you can't. No. Because that, that drags you down. Yeah. And and you 
hey, with what, what is going on, you've met wonderful people that allowed you to see that there's much more possible. And you have that strong belief that you will create that miracle if you do the work. And, then, and that's, that's I, I find that yeah, you're an inspiration for, I think, every human being that is watching or listening there because we want the miracles, but most of us don't want to do the work to get to the miracle, what you're already sharing. You put it in, in the right words. It's, it, 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 there's always work somehow. Yeah. It's like, this is one of my favorite movies. It's a documentary movie about music and dance made like at the end of 90s. And in, in this whole movie, the movie is called Lucky People Center International. I think you can find it on YouTube. And, and they're making an interview with a guy that says a quote that if you live in the jungle and you do something wrong, you have to, you, you will get to pay for it immediately. But if you live in the Western society and you do something wrong, it doesn't have to hit you. Somebody else would get hit, not you. So this sort of makes people think that, yeah, it will happen for me. I don't have to put in the work. Yeah. At least that's how it goes in my head. But it's, yeah. I fully agree with you because when you're in the jungle, it will bite you in the ass, uh, literally, <laughs> sometimes with yeah. snakes, etc. But what you talk about, in a way, is taking back or taking back responsibility for your own life and your own possibilities instead of not taking that responsibility and then life will get it or the people around you, right? Yeah, responsibility is such a hard word, but yeah, you're right. It's, uh, that's it. It's, it's, it's sort of the, the same thinking as well. At least what, what he says, what you can read is you need to go back to the primal things, sort of. Yeah. And th that brings me to another thing because you're talking about whim and not everybody, of course, only knows the word whim. You're talking about whim of uh, the ice. Yeah. And I know that besides whim, you're really with the journey that you're on right now, you're really fascinated by people like Wim Hof, the Iceman, and, and other people that are able to do magnificent things. Did you always have that interest or is it being even more sparked because you're on this journey to create that miracle? Probably more interested in it now. I've, I've always had an interest in, in people, stories, how they achieve certain things. It's like, I don't know, 30 years ago, I read an article about a guy that swimmed, swam the whole Amazon River from start to land. And back then I was so fascinated by him. I found an old paper a few years ago and read the story again. And all of a sudden he wasn't that fascinating anymore because I, I thought like, yeah, what he has achieved, yeah, anybody can achieve. <laughs> so sort of. It was still, you know, it's still a, a huge fucking achievement, but it, 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 in my head, it went on that the general mental push, or maybe it's because I know a lot of these people, is a little bit ahead now. It's, it's you know, people push their, their minds to do such things. So are there any other insights that you got from, for example, uh, yeah, uh, studying with people like Wim Hof? when it comes to that journey that you're on? I don't know. Lately, it is a lot of emphasis. I, I, I started reading his, his book now, and I do all my exercises on a daily basis, and I really try to do them as conscious as possible. And I really believe he has it figured out. I just want to reach that level. 
that I can say like, oh, fuck Vim, this is amazing. I wish I would have come to this earlier. That sort of thing. It's uh, his, his, his mindset, his, the, the power he has there. Yeah. So, so in it's a way, like, what, what I hear you say is that that, that combination with that what Wim Hof is doing to regulate himself in those extreme conditions, you see it as an opportunity for yourself to grow and also to support you in that journey of creating that. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I recently discovered another guy uh, named David Goggins. Yeah, I know him. Which uh, seems like, you know, the hardest of them all as well. It's uh, getting insight in, into his brain is high on my wish list because... There seems nothing which is impossible for him. Yeah. So and in a way, and let's say your mindset, your mental training is a, a huge part of, let's say, the journey that you're on right now. Definitely. Definitely. And, and I, 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 <laughs> I want to get those insights. I want to see if they can do the magic for me. Yeah. That's, that's it. And being on that journey, uh, Piotr, what did you accomplish for yourself? Like uh, we've met, of course, also in Amsterdam doing the, the Wim Hof stuff. Did you already uh, had small wins by incorporating, for example, the Wim Hof method? I, I know that you're meditating. Uh, yes, although not on the level I wanted. The, the wins have all been on a, on a physical level. So for instance, I have, because of my injury, I have uh, less lung capacity. Mm -hmm. uh, But by doing all these briefing exercises, it makes me uh, be able to 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 use my lungs to to better level. It's like my wife told me, like, "Yeah, you stopped snoring. That's that's a big win for me." But <laughs> still, <laughs> <Real wise. laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> still not on the level uh, I want to, but you know, it's things I don't notice, but it's come there because of this. Yeah. And there are there are more. I've I've recently started noticing that where you have an inflammation on your body, there's a special feeling. And and when I do my breathing exercises after a while, I do feel that at that point, at that part where the inflammation is, I can feel my body working to get it away. And that I can that's that's fully because of of Vim's breathing. So it, it is it is coming. But yeah, it's long way left. I, I truly believe, and, and we spoke about this also before, like and you say, and you're really honest about the fact that Wim, for example, is working 40 years on mastering a skill and everything takes time and that with the right mentor, you can speed up process, but you still need the time to, let's say, truly integrate things like that to, yeah, to get yourself to the next level, right? Exactly. So somehow, you know, today's society wants quick fixes not a lot of people are willing to put in the work it takes they just like wait and it's like yeah fix it for me in two minutes yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i fully agree with you i think that's the biggest flaw people uh and and and, and people is also me of course we are we are so in a society that we have instant gratification you have your phone and you want to eat yeah. and you have just eat or all those other wonderful companies. And in let's say a half an hour, your whatever you want is on your doorstep. And with personal yeah. development and, and spirituality or however you want to call it, 
we also want that tense that plan and do it as quickly as we can and not taking in account that mastering something just takes time and with the right steps or the right guidance you can speed it up of course but you still need the time to integrate some yeah definitely then a question that i have for you you also are a father 18 months right now so congratulations yeah. uh, thank you <laughs> um I find personally kids are the best teachers when it comes to personal development. You can know all the courses and meet people like Wim. But if you truly want to have personal development, get a kid in your life if you have the possibility. So what is your, let's say, biggest insight being a father right now when it comes to your personal development? Yeah, I cannot more than agree with you. You know, it's they they try to communicate with you and they have only very primitive methods, which is being glad or being sad. And when when they being sad, it can turn out very ugly and, and you have to sort of translate it and, and make the kid glad again. And, and it takes patience. It's, uh, <laughs> it's patience training, uh, Exactly. <laughs> well, not only that, but I wish I could, you know, I, I wish I could, I wish the communication would have been better. It's a very stubborn kid. And when he wants something, he wants something. And when he doesn't get it, he doesn't get it. Then you hear it. And the uh, screaming uh, gets into your head. And that stresses. And uh, <laughs> to, to not to get stressed, from that it uh, takes a little bit of uh, patience <laughs> patience and, and mindful tra- mindfulness training wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, exactly <laughs> but i fully agree with you it's you know you uh, you learn so much from your kids already from the from the early stage they yeah yeah right basically and, what what they do now they mimic you and, and what they mimic you or not the word that you've been doing but you have, and later on, you know, when it comes to technology, you will learn from the kids. Yeah, absolutely. So. That's wonderful. <laughs> they they surpass you at a certain time when it comes to technology. The world exactly is interesting, or when it comes to that. I have one last question for you, brother. And when I talk about human beings, I truly believe that there is a in every human being a legend that that wants to come out, and that we are all part of a legacy and now we've spoken with each other i already shared with you that next week i will train groups of people again and that uh, because we had this interaction with each other today that you're part of my legacy and i hope i can be part of your legacy when you share stories with with others if you would have like uh, let's say your biggest lesson what is the biggest lesson that you would like to share that you biggest lesson you would like to share it's about doing things just do it don't regret things don't regret things that's that's i think the biggest lesson because you might not be able to do it in the future it's uh, that's it it's not very spiritual it's not anything it's just you know like what is it nike just do it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 Nike slogan: "Just do it." And if you don't, don't look back and and feel sorry about yourself. Just try to do your best for next thing. Thank you. That's about thank it. you so much for for this conversation. Well, thank you for inviting me. So, what an immense and intense interview with Piotr. What is it 
based on this conversation that we can take away from it when we have to deal with change in our own lives. Let me know and share it on social media because I'm really curious what you have learned from this. Thank you for joining us. If you don't want to miss an episode of Exit the Red Race, make sure to subscribe. Are you listening through Apple Podcasts? We'd love you to leave a review. Do you know someone who really should hear this episode? Share it in your favorite social media so you can tag them. Oh, and don't forget to tag Daniel as well. Want to know more about Daniel Kluken? Check out his website at danielkluke.com. Are you ready to live your legend? See you next time. Exit the rat race. <laughs>